Right, today's reading. Hang on, let me get the right thing. Today's reading um, is from Nehemiah 2, if you're listening back on the tape. Um, the thing is, um, I started out writing this talk and I had an idea of what I was going to talk about because I'd read Nehemiah before and Ezra and all the <laughs> stuff around it. And actually, the talk that I'm just about to give you is nothing like what I imagined it was going to be. So it's a little bit of a shock. But anyway, let's hope, let's hope it's okay. Um, so it's impossible to talk about today's reading without touching about on all sorts of things. As Arthur mentioned last week, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah were originally joined together as one book, or they were called one Ezra and two Ezra or whatever. Um, and really, in order to understand the book of Nehemiah, you have to understand how the Jews ended up in Babylon in the first place, what happened while they were there, who was saying what, the prophets who were encouraging the Jews to return and to rebuild, the story of Ezra and the rebuilding of the temple, um, as our, and, uh, and then what happened next. And, yeah, we tend to think that it was all a good thing. What was it? Um, just a, a little bit of a recap of the history, the bit of slight history lesson. I've also mentioned Haggai and Zechariah on that slide because they were the main prophets talking at the time when um, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were rebuilding Jerusalem. And they had some quite interesting things to say as well. So the Babylonian exile... The dates I've put are about, because it depends where you count it from and where you count it to, the one that the dates that I've put on there is 516 was when the temple was, was rebuilt and, and they started to use it, so that was 70. So they were away for about 70 years. Um, that was a surprise to me because I thought it had been longer than that, but it was about 70 years, so it's about two generations, so it's time to forget things and stuff. Um, and they, they've been... Uh, be, uh, some, uh, quite a few years previously that 10,000 Jews had been taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar, the, the big king. Um, and this picture actually depicts, it's obviously not taken at the time, the BBC <laughs> News was not there, but it's a picture depicting the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, which was some, some time later. And um, the city had been held under siege um, and thousands more Jews fled in 586 BCE, um, largely because they were starving. They'd been under siege, they were starving to death, so they had to get out. Um, the, the temple was then defiled and destroyed by the Babylonians. Many of its prominent buildings were, were flattened and the first temple, the temple built by Solomon, was completely flattened and destroyed. Um, Actually, when that first temple was, was built, they got it wrong. I don't, Solomon was given the job of building the first temple. David wasn't allowed to because he was a warrior, so he wasn't really following the, the good stuff that God wanted to do. But Solomon uh, was given the job of building the temple, and he actually built his palace first, and it was about twice the size of the temple. So there was you know, something not quite right about that. In, anyhow... As time went on, the, the, the temple existed and people worshipped in it. And there's a lot of prophets, a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament are talking about the temple before and after it and what was happening. And Isaiah particularly is talking about how worship in the temple had gone completely wrong. Uh, people were worshipping in the wrong way. They were worshipping the wrong stuff and, um, uh, and they weren't worshipping with the right hearts. And they kept on saying all the time that the temple was in existence. You're doing it wrong. You're not living as God intended. You're worshipping other gods for one thing. 
and you've forgotten the one true God and how he wants you to live. Your society is serving the rich. People are suffering. There's no justice to be found. In fact, the book of the law, which is considered to be the first five books of our Bible, had been completely lost and disregarded for years and was only refound and placed in prominence in the temple a few years before the Babylonians attacked. So they'd only just rediscovered the law at that point. So there'd been a whole gap when they were doing everything wrong. And if you look in Chronicles and Kings, there's a whole stack of kings who got it all wrong and a few that got it all right, and it was just a disaster. But with all, I mean, Israel was not an empire. It was a tiny, squidgy little country, basically. But with all civilizations, with all um, uh, ethnic groups, you see similar patterns. You see the pioneering stage, and when people are forming what, what, you know, making their mark on the land, the building stage. Then you start getting to the point where everybody gets a bit complacent. And then you see the destruction of things. And Israel got, destru- got destroyed because it had very powerful enemies. And also, it had, it had just... Um, you're a bit late, Tony. <laughs> you missed it. <laughs> nice to see you, though. Um, uh, so they got, they got complacent. They got very, they'd forgotten God. They got comfortable. They got flabby. And they got destroyed, basically. So the Jews were in Babylon for about 70 years. Um, as I say, the dates I've quoted uh, are, are the second exile, really. That wasn't the initial one. And what happened in Babylon? Well, a lot of the Jews just settled down and got on with it. They were educated people, quite often high up in in, um, Jewish society, and they got on and got on with life. They were there for 70 years, that's to say two generations. They made themselves comfortable, became significant members of Babylonian society. Some simply just forgot their past, their heritage, and just got, got on with building a new life. But some... Uh, For some, however, Babylon was never going to be the place they were going to stay. They were never, they wanted to go home. Anybody, oh, oh, it came out all at once. I was going to say, does anybody remember Boney M? Yeah. Um, Boney M made it, uh, Psalm 137, very popular because uh, by the rivers of Babylon we laid down and uh, we sat and wept. Um, that, that was the Boney M song. But some of them in, who were exiles in Babylon were very, very sad. They wanted to go back. Um, and uh, Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets I mentioned to you, uh, tells of the pe- uh, tell, encourage the people to, to rebuild and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. And they were supposed to be going to return to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple again. That was what they were aiming to do. Now we get to the book of Ezra now. I'm sorry, it's, it's a bit of history this, but you, you kind of have to understand where it's all come from, really. So Ezra went uh, ahead of uh, Nehemiah. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem, we think, about 13 years before Nehemiah uh, turned up. Um, and un, un, under his direction, a replacement temple was built. It took about three and a half years to build, which was pretty good going, actually. Um, the Jews, and that's what it says. I, I find that hard to believe, but it's, that's what it says in, in the Bible. It took three and a half years. Um, there was a bit of a fight because when the, the, the senior Jews had left Babylon and gone into exile, about 75% of the population had stayed behind. 75%. And the trouble was, once the 25% returned, or some of the 25%, um, 
the Jews who remained behind wanted to join in. They wanted to start helping with the rebuilding of the temple, and you'd have thought they'd have been glad for the manpower and things, but they didn't. They didn't allow the 75% to join in because they got, they said they got defiled by remaining in the land, perhaps marrying local people. Uh, they weren't worshipping God properly, um, even though they had, it was quite obvious uh, that they had been worshipping God. Uh, they hadn't kept themselves pure. So the 25% or fewer that returned um, said that they wanted the temple all to themselves. They wanted to set it up so it would be pure. They would be able to worship God. Um, and uh, th there's all sorts of things about the fights. So some of the fights that happen later when they're trying to build the, the, the walls of the Jerusalem and also when they were building the temple itself are all about these 75% and other locals getting really cross about it all. Um, so um, at the time of Ezra rebuilding the temple, the locals just said, well, we're not going to pay any taxes to the king and the king stopped the whole building program for a while. Anyhow, we get to our reading. Sorry about the preamble, but we get to our reading. Enter our hero, Nehemiah. So basically, um, Ezra has rebuilt the temple. People are scared stiff to worship in it because there's no walls surrounding it. They can't keep all these people who have got a bit of bad feeling for them out. Um, and they're getting threats and things. So Nehemiah turns up. And he, uh, one, he, he goes to Jerusalem having asked a favour of the king. By now the king has changed. It was the Babylons that took the Jews away. It's now the, the um, Iranians, the Persians who are in control. Um, and they, they, they said, actually, we don't mind you going back now. Um, so uh, we saw how Nehemiah heard reports from the people who'd gone out with Ezra that they were having a tough time. And he was a trusted servant of the king Artaxerxes, or Artaxerxes. Um, He's cupbearer to the king, so he's able to talk to the king directly, which is a great privilege in that society. He's given a really responsible job. And because he can talk to the king and because he summons up all his courage, he's given permission uh, and support in, in, in terms of um, armed people, guards to help him safe passage and all sorts of things to visit Jerusalem. And once he's in Jerusalem for three days and you know got over the jet lag or whatever, he does a full survey of the damage. And he does it by night, as depicted here, again, not a BBC News photo. Um, and he does a full damage, and the reports are true. Despite the temple having been built, the people were in terror. They had a lot of enemies, and the walls were all dodgy. They'd, they'd fallen down, and they'd been pushed down, and they'd been set, and the gates had been set on fire. Um, so they needed a new city wall and a new gate so that they could be safe. And that's what Nehemiah sets out to do. So he, he actually says, you can see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Now that's interesting. Who's, who's he, who's he, what's the disgrace about? Is it because he feels that there's a, there's a, a kind of attempt to defend God. Well, we're the people of God, and look at the state of the place. We better build it up, otherwise people are not going to have any respect for our God if this place is in this sort of mess. So, right at the end of chapter 2, they talk about very briefly about starting the rebuilding, and the rebuilding goes on for several later chapters, um, and they assign certain people to do certain jobs, and they run into more problems, and all sorts of things happen. So it's all about starting to rebuild. And the thing is, 
this is when I go slightly off piece because it all sounds really good. This rebuild the walls, great temple worship, all that sort of stuff. But I always have a so what moment, don't I? So what? If we talk about how we think about this today, all of this happened about two and a half thousand years ago. Does it have anything to tell us today? It's an interesting story. It's quite exciting. Um, The Jews have been exiled. Some of them settled where they were, got on with life, became successful. Another group of them really, really wanted to go back to Jerusalem. But I suppose it all hinges on why they wanted to go back. Why did they want to go back? What were they hoping for when they got there? Did they want to go back to everything exactly as it was? Because as as I've alluded to, it wasn't good before they left. Things had gone wrong. They'd only just kind of rediscovered God. They were only just trying to set things up. They'd been all over the place. It was, you know how people look back and reminisce about the, the wonderful days in the past? It wasn't like that. We have a record of what it was like, and it certainly wasn't like that. So did they just want to go back to everything exactly as it was? If they did, they were going to be disappointed. When Ezra was building the temple, they looked at the foundations of the new temple and some of the older ones started weeping. Not tears of joy, but tears of disappointment. It was a lot smaller than they envisaged. It was a lot smaller than the original building. And when you see the foundations and they're smaller, you imagine that the final building is going to be smaller as well. It's not going to be as grand as the temple that had been destroyed. Um, I don't know, I I doubt any of them had actually seen it, but um, certainly um, they would have had uh, vivid pictures, perhaps uh, embellished by people to say how brilliant it was. And they'd forgotten that the prophets, Isaiah particularly, but others as well, saying the worship in that temple had lost its true meaning, that it was all about showiness and money and wasn't about the true worship of the true God. Now, a different way of thinking of the exile is this, and I hadn't thought of this before until I started researching this talk. Some people think that the exile to Babylon was all about giving the people a kind of Sabbath rest from what they were doing, an opportunity to think about stuff, possibly go back and do things differently. Um, I mean, once they'd lost the temple and it had been destroyed, and they couldn't even access the site because they were 1,600 miles away. Could they do things differently? What if they never got back to Jerusalem? Um, so it was a time to rethink this. And it's thought that by the, when they were in Babylon, that was the first time they started meeting as synagogues, you know, as community worship, where they could um, come together in community worship and also study But they couldn't do sacrifices because you have to go to Jerusalem to do that. So sacrifices were off the the agenda, off the menu, if you like. Um, I mean, when, if you think back, well, I mean, a lot of us can't think back to the Second World War. I don't think anybody (laughs) here can. Um, But after the Second World War, um, many people felt that they couldn't go back to things exactly as they were. It was a great opportunity. Although the war was a tragedy and and awful, people didn't want to go back to things as they were. People had changed in that that four or five year period. Um, And there was a real vision about improving society and making it better for everyone, including the poorest in our society. 
I mean, I'm, obviously I'm going to mention this, but the National Health Service came into being because of the new thinking following the Second World War. And it meant that health was an option for everyone, not just the rich. And there were many other things that came into being through real visionaries who wanted to see a better society for everyone. Similarly, after the COVID epidemic, which we've just lived through, many of us hoped that it would be an opportunity to rethink the way we do things, particularly the way we deal with our consumer society and the way it impacts our precious, precious planet. This planet is dying and we need to do something. The jury's still out on whether we're going to achieve that. But some people wanted to go back to worship exactly the way they had before. Yes, they did rediscovered the law, and it's, there's a whole wonderful bit later on in the story of Nehemiah about how they restart worship and all sorts of things, and they, they read the law, and people are shocked that they haven't been keeping to it. Um, but we know, we look back over years and years, thousands of years, and we look back at some of the sayings of Jesus, and we realise that it was impossible for people to keep the law. So they were going to set up the same old thing, and perhaps God had given them an opportunity to do something different. So I'm sorry if that spoils the rest of Nehemiah for you, but, you know, it's just the way it is sometimes. Um, there's a, a, as I mentioned, the prophets that were speaking... Oh, uh, prophets that were speaking at the time of um, um, Ezra and Nehemiah. One of them was Haggai. Now, I've put that it's taken from the Bible Project video on Haggai. If you, and Sam's shown a couple of these ones before, they're sort of hand-drawn things and it draws it as you go through. They're so worth looking at, these things, because they really summarise it, and I think they've got the right idea. Anyway, um, so Haggai was one of the prophets at the time of the rebuilding, and the challenge of the book of Haggai was saying, you have to do things differently. Yes, build the temple by all means, but don't go back to what you were doing. You're slipping back into your old ways. And <laughs> harking back to the time of Solomon, you're adding more and more detail to your own houses rather than getting on with building the temple and worshipping God properly. You have to start making right choices in your lives. You have to start living as God wants you to. And your obedience to God should result in the world being a different and better place because of you. It's not about you, it's about God. I think Haggai has something to say to us today. Um, and Haggai also mentions the Messiah, who will come and put all this stuff right. And we know that Jesus, when he came, showed that animal sacrifice wasn't necessary. And God, again, underlined it by 30-odd by years later, destroyed, getting the temple destroyed again. So Jesus was the, the final and last sacrifice. I mean, the temple continued for a while. Mm -hmm. But the temple was destroyed, and they didn't rebuild this time. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, I wonder what would happen if they hadn't rebuilt after the first lot. I don't know. Um, so the Jews had forgotten so they went back to the same old thing and they'd forgotten that true worship is offered on God's terms, not, uh, at, uh, not, out, not ours. Um, worship is all about worshipping God in everything we do. It's not about the hour you spend at the temple or the hour you spend here. That, it might be great to worship together, but your true worship is what you do all day, every day. The people you interact with, how you do things, all those sorts of things. Um, and the Jews had also forgotten the promise through Abraham that Israel 
that had been chosen to welcome the nations into true worship, Israel was supposed to be an example to the world of how it should all work. And they got tied up in legalism instead of doing the right thing. And Jesus, when he uh, came, if you, if you remember, what, what did Jesus say about Jerusalem um, and the temple when he was talking to the woman at the well? Can anybody remember? Those who worship will worship in spirit Yes, you get a gold star. <laughs> in, jo- in John 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who's saying, we, we, we worship on Mount Gerizim, but the, but the Jews worship um, you know, in, in Jerusalem, uh, in Zion. Um, and you know which is the right thing and what Jesus says believe me a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem a time is coming when the true worshippers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they're the kind of worshippers the father seeks God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth so really Jesus is saying I mean as, as I mentioned, the, the temple was destroyed, that temple. Um, Sam's already shown us a picture of the Wailing Wall bit of that temple. It was destroyed in 70 AD uh, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Um, and so I think we can t- say, safely say that perhaps the temple isn't meant to be exist. Jesus says we do not need the temple. We do not need Jerusalem. You can worship God anywhere, anywhere at all. You do not have to have special places. Well, nice having something to keep the the rain out but you know you don't have to have special buildings uh, to worship God in you can worship God wherever you are and that is what Jesus said and I believe Jesus is right naturally because I'm a follower of Jesus and I think it's pretty cool Um, so the message really from Nehemiah for us today I think is that to be followers of Jesus we have to show that true, true worship of the one true God is all about not what we do on church on Sundays. It's what we do the rest of the week that marks us out as different to all those people that we come into contact with. We have to live the life that Jesus' teaching was all about so that we build communities of faith and worship. And those communities of faith and worship can change the world. This is not a small thing. It's not about being cosy. It's about going out and showing people what the difference is. I just, you know, I, I'm, I, I guess I'm a bit of an activisty type person. But it's not just about cozying up to God. It's not just about worshipping at, at the one temple in Jerusalem. It's about doing a whole load of other stuff uh, for God. And Jesus showed us the way. Every single aspect of his life showed us the way to do this. I can't unpack all of that because it would be here forever. But anyway, <laughs> let's just um, pray. Dear Lord God, help us to be the people that you want us to be. Help us to stand out in a world where money talks louder than you do. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lynn. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back.